we've heard stirring and moving things about what God has done to reach us and to demonstrate his love for us. We're so grateful for our praise ministry and leading us to this place to consider the truth of the gospel. In this Advent season, we've talked about the hope that God with us brings. We've talked about the love that uh, comes to us and the peace that comes to us. But today I want us to talk about joy. And as we consider this notion of joy, I've already said it, this is not a joy-filled season for some. In fact, not just the Christmas season, but this season of life. I'm probably talking to more people right now than I ever have that are discouraged and despondent and struggling with depression. They're dealing with all manner of issues of just finding themselves in a fog. It's not a new condition. Hudson Taylor, a well-known missionary, in fact, a, a, a missionary to China and the founder of the China Inland Mission, uh, an incredible ministry. Thousands upon thousands came to faith in Jesus Christ because of his faithful work. I, he's my favorite missionary. I've read just about everything that you could possibly imagine about him. I even named my dog Hudson Taylor. Most of you know that I like Hudson Taylor. But as he made all of this inroads into the nation of China with the gospel of Jesus Christ, he admitted on numerous occasions that there were seasons of his life where inwardly he struggled. And by his own admission, there were seasons of no joy and no spiritual satisfaction. One day, one of his fellow missionaries, a man named John McCarthy, wrote him a letter, and in that letter were words that Hudson Taylor later said became transformational. They literally changed his life. And here were those words. McCarthy said to Hudson Taylor, the key to satisfaction is this, not a striving to have faith, but a looking off to the faithful one. Where, where, where are you? What about you? Do you live today, and I really want you to be honest for just a few moments. I mean, we've set this side of time for worship, so why don't you just focus? Are you right now living in the midst of circumstances, or are you living above them? If you're honest right here, right now, in this moment, are you experiencing joy? I don't mean glimpses of happiness. I don't mean just moments of serendipity where you smile. I mean a deep-seated experience that is exuberant and it goes beyond the daily grind. Let me ask it this way. Do you want to? Do you want to experience outrageous joy and maintain a life that is beyond your circumstances? Because the Bible says it's possible. And in fact, McCarthy's words really are key in this, that you would stop trying to find happiness. You would stop chasing after happiness. You would stop looking for and working toward faith, but you would simply place your eyes on the faithful one. It makes all the difference in the world. You see, if you are a Christian, the Bible says that we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. And the trouble is, I don't see a lot of believers that are living that way. I'll just be honest with you. I watch over and over again as believers struggle to have and find joy, to experience joy. Now, I realize some people tend to be sad by nature. It's just sort of their temperament. They, they struggle to find a place of contentment, and it becomes an ongoing challenge. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a, an incredible book called Spiritual Depression. I read back through it over the last several months, and as I looked at that book, he even said something that struck me. He said one of the first and foremost causes of depression is, is simply temperament or personality. 
So there is a bent toward that, but there are other reasons. Young moms really come to the place of being surprised at how exhausted they really are, tired and overwhelmed, and they wrestle to find joy. If you're grieving today or you're suffering today in some place, maybe you don't realize that God has joy for you in your present circumstance, specific joys. And don't forget this, our enemy hates us and our enemy will steal every possible ounce of joy at any opportune moment. He's looking to do that. But I got to, got to just tell you that the most miserable Christians that I have ever seen are those who have a foot in the world and a foot in heaven. They've got a foot in each world, if you will. It's, it's this, that they would hedge their bets. They've got one eye on heaven and one eye on the earth. They call on the name of Christ, but they still try to find security and satisfaction and peace and pleasure and fulfillment in the world. They're riding the fence. They're straddlers, if you will. And in this straddling position, the, the, the fact is they're not happy. And maybe if you're honest, I'm holding up a mirror this morning and you're saying, he's reading my mail. That's me. And I know that because I've lived there. The most miserable place to be is to be a carnal Christian, is to be a worldly-minded Christian. It is to long for God, but to look for satisfaction in other things. And I'm not going to speak for long this morning. I just simply want to give you a focal point that maybe will lead you to a place of joy. Maybe today you find yourself in those predicaments. Well, I want to talk to you about the great yes and the great no. You see, it is very, very critical for every Christian to be absolutely convinced that God is good. Do you believe that God is good, yes or no? Give me a hearty amen if you do. Do you believe God is good? God alone is good. You need to know that. Do you believe that God alone is good? If we're going to be uh, joy-filled, we've got to recognize and realize that God alone is good, that there is no other gods in the world that can bring to us satisfaction and happiness and peace or anything that will last. And I'm talking about lowercase g gods because he alone is God. He alone is good. And as we consider that notion that God alone is good, we drive this point home. We dare not imagine that there's even a sliver of good in anything outside of God and his will for our lives. Not one shred. Nothing. And the reason I can say that with boldness is because Scripture affirms it. Now, here's what I want to do. This is not a, a normal message in the sense that I would preach through several points. We have more music that we want to share in today, and that is the focal point. But as we consider joy, I want you to read some Scripture with me. Psalm 16, 2. We'll put it on the screen. Read it with me. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Now, I don't need to give you any of these other verses. That one alone says, where does good come from? From God. There is no good apart from God. You need to be convinced God is good and God alone is good. But let's continue. Psalm 73, 25. Read it with me. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. What a powerful, incredible statement that we would come to that place recognizing. Psalm 142.5, read it with me. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my portion in the land of the living. 
The psalmist said, there's nothing else I desire and there's nothing else that I need. That God alone is my goodness. He is my portion. He's my strength. He is my shield. And the reason that I bomb the rubble and give these to you over and over again is because so many Christians are living beneath their privilege of an exuberant, inexpressible, outrageous state of joy. Oh, that you would come to this place because even in the midst of brokenheartedness, you can experience real joy. Let me give you another one from the New Testament. James says in James 1, 16 and 17, let's read it together. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. Most good things in your life come from God, right? Every good gift, every perfect gift. So here are bedrocks for you. God is good, God alone is good, and all good comes from God. And best of all, you need to understand this. God gives us not just good gifts, he gives us himself. Emmanuel, God with us. And the Christmas story gives to us an understanding of exactly how good he is. We can't fully comprehend it or wrap our hearts and our minds around it, but Jesus would leave the glory of heaven and come to earth and suffer all of the pangs of humanity so that you and I could leave earth and go to heaven, so that we could be confident that he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us, that he would move in our midst. And so for us, we need to recognize what the psalmist said from there Psalm 1611 God said through the psalmist in your presence there is what say it again fullness of joy fullness of joy Uh, let me ask you the question again today are you experiencing fullness of joy Some of you are experiencing fullness of heartburn. You've got shopping lists to take care of and events to get to and a stressed out schedule and your budget is stretched tight and you're struggling still in the midst of pandemic and political concerns and in the midst of all of the chaos and the turmoil and the despondency and the struggle, fullness of joy does not describe your life. But it can and it should. But you have to say yes to God. The great yes is God, you alone are good and all good comes from you and I will turn my heart to you. But you need to realize that the good, uh, the, the great yes brings the great no. And the great no is simply this, that you would begin to say, I will not look for good in any other thing. Hear me, church family. Satan tempts us to think that we can find something good and satisfying apart from God. And it's a constant temptation. He is is subtle in that temptation. But we must declare a sound, resounding no to anything that promises good without him. The great no is at the heart of the Christian faith that you would say, no, there is no other joy apart from Christ. There is no other satisfaction. There is no other happiness. The essence of sin is looking for good outside of God and his will. Think about that. The essence of sin is simply looking for some good thing outside of God. That's what happened to Eve. Eve looked, it says in Genesis 3, 6, that she saw the tree, it was good for food, a delight to the eyes, and desired to be wise, and now she's looking beyond God for good. And when we look beyond God for good, we stumble in the exact same way that she did. Does that make sense to anybody in this place today? 
when I dig beneath the surface of any sin in my life, ultimately I see that what's going on is I'm looking for good. I'm looking for pleasure. I'm looking for satisfaction. I'm looking for hope. I'm looking for joy in something other than God. And it may be significance for you. It may be justice or belonging or comfort or some physical need. But you say, I'll try to get it on my own without God. And in the end, that is nothing more than idolatry. And the Bible tells us that that kind of idolatry leads to ruin. In fact, David said this in Psalm 16, 4. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I I don't know that I had ever seen that verse with the clarity. And I I dug into it and studied it. That word troubles is not just, oh, I'm going to get in a mess. No, it's sorrows. And they multiply. They compound. As I chase after other gods, my trouble just seems to snowball and pick up steam and pick up traction. And we run after other gods to find joy. And what do we find? Sorrow. Trouble. How does this play out in real life? A young woman knows that she shouldn't marry a non-Christian, so she thinks she'll find love and security in a relationship. Even though God's not in it, she wants something good, and she's looking to another God for good to provide it, and guess what multiplies? Sorrow. A man thinks he'll find fulfillment in pornography or hooking up after work, and you realize that sexual pleasure is a good thing in the midst of God's context, but outside of that, he's looking for something else, another God, to give to him these brief seconds of pleasure that will ultimately, as the Bible says, turn to gravel and ashes in his mouth. A woman looks for significance through gossip. She feels important as she puts other people down or when she talks about others and what they're doing. She's not finding her worth in Christ. She is running after another God, her sense of value. Does that make sense to anyone here? When we seek after good in anything other than God, we will find nothing but trouble. I I can't summarize this sermon any more closely, but my sermon is not about trouble and it's not about idolatry. It's about joy. When you seek good in God, you'll find an inexpressible, outrageous sense of joy regardless of your circumstance. You may be in a financial pinch. You may be in relational strain. You may be in a difficult physical spot with your health. But let me tell you with assurance and with confidence, Jesus Christ is with you. He is our Emmanuel and he is good and he lavishes upon us goodness and grace and mercy and today in all of your struggles in all of your trials I don't know who exactly this message is for but God does and he drew you to this place so that you could hear if you will lay down your pursuit of those good things and simply gaze your eyes toward him set your affections toward him trust him he will save you forever He will give you eternal life and he will give you hope and purpose and peace. So what I would say to you today is choose who you will serve. The Bible said that very pointedly in Joshua 24, 15. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Look to God and for his will for every good gift in your life and say with the psalmist as we've already read, you, the Lord, you are my portion in the land of the living. Half-hearted Christians are not happy Christians. They're not joy-filled Christians. And what I'm telling you is, you need to step over the fence. You need to move in his direction. I love what McCarthy said to Hudson Taylor. 
Stop striving toward faith and start looking toward the faithful one. Oh, that we would come to this place of running after not other gods, but hope in God alone. And when we do, that is the path to joy. Amen? As we sing joy to the world, as we sing Noel and celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, I find in myself a hunger and a longing to be with him. I find in myself a hunger and a yearning to be in his presence. And we know that that's coming. We've said this over and over again regarding Advent, which simply means arrival or coming. We look back with great confidence that every promise for hundreds of years was all fulfilled in Jesus. And so we can with confidence look forward and know that every promise he's made about coming again will come to pass. May I pray for you this morning? We're going to continue in our program for just a few minutes. We'll, we'll bring things to a crescendo, but the crescendo of the day would be for all of the angels in heaven to celebrate because one person in repentant faith trusted Jesus. Men, women, boys and girls, listen to me for just a moment, very pointedly. Today may very well be the appointed day of your homecoming. Jesus is simply saying, turn your eyes toward me, for I'm good, and I care for you. I cared so much that while you were still in your sin, I died for you. God's demonstrated his love. And today, would you just simply pray a prayer of faith and say, God, I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is my only hope. Would you turn to him today as I'm praying, you pray, and we'll give instruction later about what it means to walk with him. But today, you can trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the truth of your word, that there is no good apart from you, that every good and every perfect gift comes from your hand. Father, I thank you for the great privilege we have of gathering in this place and reading from your word. You've protected it and preserved it, and that's just another measure of your goodness and your love. But God, I pray that if there is someone here today that needs to trust you, that needs to be saved, that they would give their heart and their life to you even right now. They would simply pray, acknowledging that they are sinful and that they are separated from you, but that you will restore them and that you will redeem them, that you bought their eternal life by your death, your burial, and your resurrection. You demonstrated your power over the grave. Lord, would you save someone today? Father, we just give you all the praise, all the glory for all that we've heard and all that we've seen and for your word spoken today. In Jesus' name, amen. We together are going to have a very short time of invitation before the choir and praise team and orchestra finishes out. But this morning, we have encouragers that station themselves right over here. If the need of your life today is just to talk to someone about spiritual matters, why don't you step out while we sing the song? I'm going to invite everybody to stand. Let's stand together as we sing Just As I Am. Maybe you want to unite with this church. We would love for you to do that. You can come down, and we will introduce you to one of our encouragers, and they can walk you through the simple process of membership. We would love for you today to let God have his way in your life. That is the path to joy. Let's sing together.